Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Loki, Episode 5, Journey into Mystery. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. So uh, let's get into this. Uh, um, well, actually, before we get into it, we every episode of this, uh, we get to your feedback from last week's episode, your theories. We go into our brief reactions. Then we get into the beat-by-beat breakdown and into the speculation about what's going to happen in future episodes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. To be honest with you, a lot of the emails that we received this week were kind of answered in this week's episode. Um, I did get a, a tweet from Paul Toms. And he did say, hey, Peter, regarding the pen in Loki, my money is on Mobius being a teacher at the school before he was taken by the TVA. The name of the school is triggering an old, distant memory. Maybe he's sitting at a desk reading a jet ski magazine while he's taken. What do you think of that theory, Brad? Uh, I think we talked about the pen potentially being something from his past. Well, once we learned that the, yeah. all the TVA agents were variants. So, yeah, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, I could see him at the end being well. That'd be a boring end for him, right? To be back at his like a school teacher. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how you show that is the problem. Uh, oh, someone else wrote in. Zach S wrote in uh, asking what we thought of the mid credit scene from last week. In terms of was it smart to include that, or would it have been cooler to save the reveal of the, you know, this other the void uh for the next week like was it worth that like credit sequence what do you think yeah i thought about that too because it almost would have been more fun for them to let us like sit you know for a week thinking that loki had died i'm sure we probably would have come to the conclusion that he probably isn't because there's no way they're going to kill off the main character in his own show uh you know like that before the end of the series so, I mean, but, but it would have been an interesting approach. Um, but I wonder if Marvel knew that maybe introducing that would allow 
some time for it to like settle and maybe get some like uh information out there as to like what's going on and maybe for people to like get used to it before they sent them on you know an even wilder uh chase i guess you know in in this episode <laughs> yeah wild is putting it mildly uh no i i, I think it, i don't know I, at first when this question came in i was thinking to myself this i had the same thought that you did brad but then i was like you know what there would probably be a lot of people that be angry thinking you know that things were left one way it, it, it would be kind of gimmicky it'd be like a cliffhanger do you know what i mean like uh yeah. the traditional cliffhanger where the car goes off the cliff and then you find out in the next week's episode that the you know the guy jumped out of the car as it was coming off the cliff and you didn't see that you know it's, it's kind of like that kind of thing yeah yeah so yeah yeah that's our thoughts on that uh but let's get into brief thoughts on the episode brad what do you think about episode five uh, i gotta say this show just keeps getting better and weirder <laughs> and cooler and um yeah i it really you know is like just becoming my favorite marvel series and probably just one of my favorite things marvel has done uh in general surpassing you know even a huge chunk of the movies and how great this is it's just such a cool dive into the weirder side of the marvel cinematic universe and uh, it's just, yeah, creating a lot of interesting questions and ho- presumably connections to what's to come in the next phase of movies and shows. So, yeah, it's just it's just awesome. This episode is so cool. Yeah, I, I you know, I, would, I, I wonder where this would place for me if I had to put like the TV shows and the movies and rank them, because this would be very high. Like this is I, I'm really, really enjoying this. And I love how so delightfully weird it is. And I really hope that if Marvel gets anything out of the fan response to the show, I hope they they see how ready we are for these kind of really strange and weird things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I like about Guardians of the Galaxy. I like that what, what they're doing here, too. And, um, you know, having this uh, group, group of misfits, uh, misfit uh, variant Lokis was fun to to live in this this void of a world for an episode and where it goes next i don't know we'll talk about that a little bit later but i i really dug this and again the music amazing everything amazing i don't know I, i'm just really loving this show so yeah. i i don't even have a criticism for this episode but um okay so this week's episode is titled journey into the mystery and that is the title of the comic book series that Loki made his first appearance. It was Journey into Mystery 85, which was published in October of 1962 and was also the first appearance of uh, some guy named Thor. Not sure if I've ever heard of him. And, um, okay, so we're getting into the breakdown. This episode begins with this sweeping tracking shot through the TVA, and it's being done while the camera is rotating from upside down to right side up. And it, it gives you this like very disorientating feeling. What, what do you think is trying to be done with this choice? Just that like things are going like are being flipped upside down kind of. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's a stylistic choice that kind of fits in with the overall vibe of the show so far and just how they're kind of just turning things on their head. Um, really kind of turning our perception of the Marvel universe and uh, even the TVA during the series upside down. And, 
Um, the way it kind of like moves from one shot to the next is pretty cool too, because it uses like, it matches like angles and shapes up before it makes the transition to a, you know, a new shot, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then we get this wonderful drone shot that takes us through the destroyed cityscape of this pocket universe or whatever you want to call it. I guess they're going to call it the void here. So we'll call it the void. And uh, here's where I, I, you know, want to give the shout out to Natalie Holt's music. I feel like in this opening sequence, I was just like rocking out. I, I want to get the soundtrack for this, which I think did it come out this week or it comes out next week. It come, it's coming. Come, it's either out or it's coming out very soon. So, um, so interestingly, here in the cityscape, well, last week we saw, you know, in the end credit scene, we saw the variant Loki's standing over our prime Loki, and we saw in the background there was Avengers Tower, like sta- like it was in ruins of this like cityscape. But here in a shot, we do get uh, Avengers Tower. But it doesn't say Avengers. It doesn't say Stark on it. It says something else. It says Q-E-N-G. What is that, Brad? Uh, So that's a reference to Marvel Comics, uh, a company called Kang Enterprises. Um, Oh, Kang. I think we've heard. we talked about him before. We have, but this actually doesn't (laughs) doesn't have any ties to Kang the Conqueror. It's it's just kind of a little little Marvel Easter egg. Um, It's uh, the company that buys Avengers Tower from Stark Industries in Avengers Ultron Forever issue number one. Um, And uh, the villainous character in it is a CEO named Mr. Gryphon, and he engages in some uh, nefarious activities involving the Marvel characters. But yeah, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing tied to Kang the Conqueror despite the sound. But maybe because it sounds like Kang... That's why it's in there. We'll find out. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So old man Loki informs us that we are in the void and this big cloud creature behind them is named Oliath, I guess is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and how cool is it that we like for this episode, we have an antagonist that is this like <laughs> this cloud. We have we we we've gotten the smoke monster, the 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 lost smoke monster in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I kind of love it. Um, so Elioth is a character from the comics, believe it or not. Uh, in the comics, he was the first being to break free of the restraints of time itself. So very fitting to be in this story. Uh, and I'm not sure if you knew this, Brad, but he's the only creature in all of existence that someone named King is afraid of. Indeed. Yeah, this in the comics, uh, Eliath is a temporal being, feeds on temporal energy and uh, whatnot, and has creates a an empire two to three times bigger than the one that Kang the Conqueror uh, creates. And so they're um, arch rivals. And there's only been there's only one uh, other way to stop Eliath other than Kang the Conqueror, who built a barrier around his city. Um, until it was accidentally destroyed by Ravana Renslayer, this whole comic story. And so this it's certainly interesting that we're getting a character with direct ties to uh, to Kang the Conqueror, especially considering uh, what happens at the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, Sylvie uh, has Renslayer captive, but before killing her, the judge tells her that Loki is still alive. She claims that she also wants to know who is on the t- who is at the top of this, who lied to her. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about this, Brad. Okay, I I said I didn't have any criticisms of this episode. Maybe I do. I'm not sure if I'm liking 
the acting hair from Gugu. And maybe it's supposed to be so in, intentionally bad that we're supposed to seem obvious that we shouldn't believe her. But I don't know. I'm just not liking her in this episode. And I also don't know how we're supposed to feel about her. Are we supposed to believe her at this moment? Does she really want to know who's in charge of this? Or does she already know? What do, what, what do you think? Um, I didn't I didn't think her performance was bad. If anything, I just think that her character is desperate and she's doing what she has to to survive, uh, potentially stop Sylvie from doing whatever she's going to do next. I honestly, I don't think she knows uh, what's going on with, with the TVA. Um, if, if she does, you know, that's it's a complicated front she's putting on, which I guess, you know, maybe she is since she has been doing that for at least partially for a little while now by lying to some people about uh, the TVA and the people working in it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Last week we were theorizing about the batons, like those, um, those things that we, they use to, uh, um, what, what is the word? I'm forgetting it. Not, not a race. Uh, what prune? was it? Prune. Yes. Prune is the word. The things that they used to prune people. And we were wondering, you know, we, we all theorized that it probably sent them to this other pocket universe of sorts. And we were wondering, uh, do the Minutemen know that? And I think it's pretty clear in this episode that the Minutemen don't know that, but sh she confirms that she does know this because she says, uh, she explains to Sylvie that a when they prune a branched reality, it's impossible to destroy all the matter. So it's moved to a place on the timeline where it can't continue growing, a void at the end of time. So, yeah, so it's it, I think you're right, Brad. She knows more than we thought she did. I'm just wondering how much more does she know? You, you don't think that she knows who's in charge of the TVA. You, you think that she actually thought the timekeepers were real? Yeah, I think that she bought into it. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. Um, Sylvie reluctantly gives uh, Ravana back her temp pad and uh, back into the void we go. We see a bunch of crazy things and uh, th there's so many crazy things in the background of every one of these shots. I, I'll, I'll bring up some of them, but it's impossible to bring up all of them. But I feel like people are going to be looking at this show and freeze framing it and zooming in for the next couple of weeks and still finding stuff. So we see a dilapidated uh, pirate ship, maybe, or maybe it's just a 1700s ship uh, in the middle of this field. Uh, Brad, does that have anything to do with anything? Or is it just there wasn't any like specific identifying markers? Yeah. I just think it's it's one of those cool like visuals you see in kind of these kind of desolate landscapes where like things are out of time and have been decaying there for a while. You always it's just weird to see boats like that in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and also especially when it's juxtaposed right in front of this classic looking saucer shaped UFO. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which again I don't think has reference to anything. There's like a satellite sticking out of the ground, or I think it's a satellite. Uh, yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff. We'll, we'll get to some of the more Easter eggy stuff later, but I, I don't know. I just love how in the background of every one of these shots, there is like something to like be like, what's that? Um, Loki argues with a group of the variant Lokis about their lack of a plan. They are just trying to survive and the void is where they're just trying to survive in this void. But Loki wants out. 
And uh, the variants explain that the monster in the sky destroys almost everything sent to the void. He's kind of like a trash compactor of sorts, I guess. Uh, but the Lokis have survived because that's what they do. Uh, they have access. They have access to no temp pads. They are unable to cause a nexus event. There is no way out. And uh, we we find out that Kid Loki, uh, his nexus event was that he actually killed Thor. And uh, Loki looks worried when he finds this out. Why do you think he looks worried? I'm not sure that he looks worried as so much as he's. I think he's Im- impressed and also like just kind of shocked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's weird that if you had asked me last week, like which who is the leader of this group, I wouldn't have thought that the kid Loki was the leader. Yeah, kid Loki is a badass in the comics too. So <laughs> yeah, uh, later we see them sneaking across the train, and they make their way to by this yellow helicopter that says Thanos on the side of it. And I think this is my favorite Easter egg in the episode. Uh, Brad, you wrote this up in your Easter eggs, right? Yeah, I wrote up in the Easter eggs, and there's a whole separate article that dives into this uh, very silly uh, Easter egg that references one of the goofiest things in Marvel Comics history and now makes it canon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) So in one of the multiverses, Thanos was flying this yellow helicopter that said Thanos on the side of it. Yep. It kind of reminds me of, like, the the old Adam West Batman, like how he would have, like, the Batcopter, and it would, like, say Batcopter on the side of it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also see a giant version of Yellow Jacket's head from the first Ant-Man movie. So, yeah, I mean, I, I th- this isn't exactly the same as Ant-Man's uh, helmet in the movies. I went and looked to compare. It does have similarities. You're talking um, about Yellow, Yellow Jacket, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Yellow Jacket. Okay. Um, and so it's it's not the same as it appears in uh, mm. the first Ant Man movie, but it does like resem- kind of resemble, you know, what could be his hardware. So maybe it's like an alternate Yellow Jacket that was like able to grow like Ant Man instead of only being able to shrink. Hmm. It seems like a very specific reference to put in there, even if it's different. Uh, so last time we saw Yellow Jacket was in that original ant-man movie and did he die he got sent somewhere or something like he imploded upon himself and so could have survived you know and 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 since this is this is also a place where uh you know variants have been uh reset and timelines have been reset it could be a yellow jacket from any number of timelines yeah i know we've been theorizing this whole time about how this could connect in with Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Didn't Evangeline Lily accidentally tweet or Instagram something saying that Corey Stahl was in that movie, even though he has not been announced. Yeah. When she, she posted an Instagram story about training for the movie before production started and she included a hashtag of Corey Stahl's name. And then that post was very promptly taken down. <laughs> So, Brad, I know you you see where I'm going with this. Do you think that this connects any way besides a fun Easter egg? Um, it's I think it's it's I mean anything is possible at this point. Like considering what the multiverse is going to do to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like literally anything is possible. I I can't rule out seeing any version of any character or seeing any dead characters return. Like anything is on the table, and th- this makes more sense than some of the crazier ideas. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some version of Yellow Jacket returning in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yeah. Remember that time that I, I put out there that Loki had the, the time stone and was rewinding time on 
Clementus. <laughs> that that was a ridiculous theory. Anyways, um, okay. Uh, they open the hatch in the ground and get in. This is the hideout. Uh, the camera sinks through the dirt, and we see lots of objects in the ground, including uh, a lunch tray, which I don't know what that has to do with anything, uh, Thor's hammer, and then we see a tiny frog Thor in a jar. And this is a reference to the comics, right? Yeah, um, there's actually two different versions of Frog Thor, or Throg, as he's known. There's, <laughs> there's one that's Thor that is turned into a frog by Loki, and then there's another one where there's this there's a character um, who is a, a, a football player, and his he loses his wife and daughter, and he gets really depressed, and he goes to see a witch so that he can see his wife and daughter one more time, but he's not be able to repay the debt to her, and so he gets turned into a frog who gets caught up in like this adventure with like other frogs in central park and ends up meeting frog Thor during this like war between um, alligators and, and rats in the sewers of New York. And then after frog Thor leaves, he ends um, with like Mjolnir, a shard of Mjolnir gets left behind and um, he's able to fashion it into a new small Mjolnir. And then that, that version of, uh, of Throg is, is born in the Marvel in the Marvel comics universe as well. Yeah. And by the way, this jar has the written on it T three, six, five, which is the number of the issue Thor 365, where the, that second one that you mentioned. And by the way, that the cover of that comic is from 1986 says, quote, possibly the most unusual Thor story ever published. For sure. <laughs> uh also uh, the the other frog thor thing that you mentioned where loki turned his brother into a frog they made a joke about that in thor ragnarok so so that has been marvel cinematic universe canon for some time um but yeah this seems to be the second of the two that you mentioned uh strangely this character like throg people like this character and he's become kind of a fan favorite and has appeared in like more comics and cartoons and video games. So, yeah, I, I doubt we're going to see more of him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, could they end up doing <laughs> like they were doing like those Pet Avengers comics, right? Could they end up doing like a Disney Plus Pet Avengers series? What is there a Pet Avengers series? I thought that was a DC I think so. thing. I think it's uh, the Marvel. Yeah, Pet oh. Avengers. It was a four-issue series. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it had a uh, yeah. I think that's where the he first appeared with that. Like, used the sliver of Thor's hammer. I could be wrong. Anyways, um, so uh, they're in this bunker, which looks like uh, looks like it was an old like fifties bowling alley, which has been kind of covered. And hidden underneath the ground, and it's covered in various objects, including a candy cane throne, uh, which is Kid Loki's throne. And uh, there's some interesting objects in here. There is uh, the polybus, or is that how you say it? Polybus, I think it is. Poly Arcade po machine, maybe polybius. Pius. Uh, I've never said it out loud. I've only seen it. <laughs> like like I've seen it in The Simpsons. Like it's referenced a lot. Um did you write this up in your Easter eggs? I did. 
Do you want to tell us about this arcade machine? Sure. Yeah. It's it's actually not a real arcade machine. It's based on this this urban. Well, legend. we don't know. Oh, gee. Okay. Sure. We don't know. It's <laughs> but it's it's, it's uh, there's this urban legend that in the 1980s there was this um, small run of polybias arcade machines that appeared in Portland, Oregon, in 1981. And it's said that it was a part of a government-run crowdsourced psychology experiment that was meant to produce intense psychoactive and addictive effects in the player. Um, this is it's obvious why this is an urban legend. Um, it's it's said that the that at times the men in black visited these machines to collect data from them about the people who <laughs> use them and stuff. So clearly very ridiculous thing. Yeah. So but a really fun like conspiracy theory uh, reference here. Yeah, Brad, there's also reports that some kids got nightmares from it. Some developed amnesia. Ah, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no proof it ever existed. But there are, like, you can find, like, old, like, Usenet, like, postings about it and stuff like that. But it's, like, one of those things. Like, the, the series has a lot of those kind of things stuck in it. Like, um, what was that in the first episode where he hijacked the plane? Oh, the, uh, the D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper, yeah. yeah. So I think he likes to stick like these kind of – not that that's an urban legend. That's actually something that happened, but it's like kind of mysterious Yeah, so I think something that couldn't be explained. Yeah. Uh, Renslayer asks Miss Minutes to pull up the restricted files of the beginning of time and the creation of the TVA. Uh, but Sylvia is more interested in seeing the end of the time, uh, which Ravona says – is just a void. Sylvie wonders aloud if there might be something beyond that. Using the same logic of her hiding in apocalypses, someone, say the timekeepers, could be completely undetectable hiding out at the end of time. So Ravana thinks that she might be right. And there's no way, but there's no way to get there. Sylvia is like threatens to kill Ravana. And before she can do that, Miss Minutes brings up that they have a prototype void spacecraft. But it's immediately clear that they're just stalling until the Minutemen reach the chambers, which they do. And, um, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if Sylvie even, like, knows for sure. But she she mentions for a second time there that she almost believed her. And maybe there there was some truth in the deception there. Like, so, Brad, I'm wondering... Do you like it's very unclear to me what Ravana's motives are here? Like, does she not know the truth? Like, I guess you're saying that she doesn't know the truth, but does she want to know the truth? Because she's definitely protecting the TVA. She doesn't want to see it burn in the way Mobius does. Yeah, for sure. I, I, yeah. I th- yeah, I think that she's she's simultaneously wondering what's going on, but also concerned about maintaining what she's been trying to you know, do with her life, you know, for however long now. Yeah. Um, and, and because Sylvie brings that up and says that there might be some truth in the deception of her, like wanting to find out the truth. I feel like when you have a main character say that out loud, that's probably the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So Sylvie prunes herself, goes to the void with uh, Ravana's temp pad. Uh, and it's also interesting here that the Minutemen, that Ravana has to like, pretend in this moment that like Sylvie has killed herself because the Minutemen agents 
don't know that you go to the void. Like she, she has to like keep her cool that like because she Sylvie has her temp pad is going to the void and like that's all bad, 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 bad uh, for her. But she can't like she has to keep her cool in front of the Minutemen because they she wants them to believe that Sylvie's dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, back in the Loki variant hideout, we have old Loki pouring. <laughs> uh, box wine into the alligator Loki's mouth, um, and this is a box of Roxy Rocks wine. Oh, it's from that still Roxon Corporation. And by the way, one of the things that we're going to feature in the feedback sec- section that we don't need to feature anymore. There's like so many articles about like is alligator Loki or is it crocodile Loki? I think we said crocodile last week. So there was like all sorts of articles. They went to experts. There's <laughs> videos, uh, but we we now know it's alligator Loki. So um, Thor Loki claims to have vanquished Iron Man and Captain America and claimed his prize of all six Infinity Stores stones. Uh, alligator Loki calls him a liar. Turns out alligator Loki caused a Nexus event by eating the wrong neighbor, neighbor's cat, and. Uh, Loki really wants to know what happened with old Loki as he knows Thanos is supposed to kill him after the events of Thor Ragnarok. So old Loki explains what happened, like everything happened the way it was supposed to happen until the point where uh, he cast a projection of himself. So even real, even Thanos believed it was real and uh, Thanos killed the projection and the real Loki hid like in as inanimate debris. And he realized that everywhere he went, only pain followed. So he removed himself from the equation and hid on a remote planet in isolation and solitude. There's something interesting here. Uh, I remember when, uh, was it infinity? Was that from infinity war where Loki dies? Yes. Yes. When that movie came out, there was all these like internet theories that Loki didn't actually die and that he like he was just using a projection of himself because there's like these YouTube videos and these like screenshots and people claim to see Loki's head in the debris in the background. So I, it's kind of funny that this is like a I, I think a reference to those fan theories. But um okay, so he uh, he got lonely. He missed his brother. The moment he took his first steps of getting off the island, the TVA showed up and captured him. Uh, he makes a toast to the god of outcasts, and we see Kid Loki drinking out of what, Brad? Ecto cooler. Yes. Wow, another Ghostbuster connection. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what... I see Ecto Cooler is, or do you think everybody knows? I mean, I hope everybody knows. If you don't, there was a time, a glorious time, uh, in the <laughs> late 80s and, and through the 90s, where there was a high C juice box called Ecto Cooler inspired by Ghostbusters. Uh, it returned in 20, uh, 2016 when Ghostbusters Answer the Call was released. They um, get put out new juice boxes and they put it in cans, uh, but it's gone again. So now all we can do is hope that it comes back when Ghostbusters Afterlife arrives in theaters later this year. Yeah, it was just like this drink called Citrus Cooler that had they had been selling since 1965. But when real Ghostbusters came out, they wanted to like tie it to that. So they dyed it green 
And uh, it was supposed to only last until like the end of that show, but it ended up lasting for like over a decade after that show went off there. But this is I, the reason why I bring this up is because we've been chronicling all the the limited time beverages that have been in the show. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's like a thing. I'd love to ask uh, after the show is over. I'd like to ask the the, the showrunner the reason for the limited time beverages i think i'm the only one who's really interested in this but i keep on noticing them um (laughs) loki is not willing to sit there and merely survive he wants to escape his plan is to kill Elioth, and he wants the loki variants to help him which they think is hilarious Uh, loki undoes the hatch finds a half dozen loki standing staring back at him from above the leader is wearing a presidential campaign button, and uh, and, and also the the like the vote Loki thing isn't that from the comics too? Which thing? The like Loki. I think recently in the comics, in the last like five years or so, Loki like ran for president. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that was a, a big storyline in in one of the, the Marvel comics runs. Yeah, I think like the whole thing was that he was like you know all candidates lie and he he ran on a campaign of that he was going to be truthful and saying he was going to lie and then he was going to lie and i think like his his uh slogan was believe but in the middle of believe was bolded the word lie Mm -hmm. so yeah um okay here's another criticism I'll, i'll i'll pull out another criticism of this episode i'm kind of disappointed how this this extra gang of loki's is really not that fun Aside from the presidential Loki, there isn't really – there's kind of like a, a generic group of marauders and they don't really play up the fun variant versions of Loki in the way that the the other Lokis that we just met do. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I was kind of hoping to see some some other prominent Lokis among this crowd and get some just little interesting tidbits about them. And I, it's still kind of fun if you like take a closer look at their costumes and stuff like that, how they're what kind of different Lokis there are. Like there's one who's kind of like a daredevil Loki wearing like a, a, a motorcycle helmet with like handlebars sticking out of it. And um, so like there's, there's cool variants um, within there, but like I think it would have been even cooler if they were able to get like, you know, some random famous faces to jump in and do it just for the hell of it. But I imagine that's also pretty expensive and, and time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a TV show that was, uh, was this shot before the pandemic or during the pandemic? I would imagine it's probably shot yeah. before the pandemic. Oh, really? Okay. I, but I don't know um, for sure. I could, be, I could be totally wrong. Yeah. Um, well, Sylvie wakes up in the void. She tries to enchant the monster. And here we get a vision of this like castle-like mansion that we end up seeing later. Uh, Sylvie runs for it. We, we see the Golden Gate Bridge in the background like in ruins on the, the hills there. Uh, Brad, is it possible? That this is a reference to X-Men The Last Stand. I sincerely doubt it, but it's, you know, who knows? Okay, probably not. I I, I thought that that was probably a far, far reach. But so a car with a pizza slice pulls up and Sylvie jumps in, not even thinking who's in the driver's seat. It's Mobius. He's the getaway driver. He apologizes for hunting her all those years. They make up really fast. Uh, President Loki and his army go head-to-head with the original Loki variant group. Alligator Loki rips off President Loki's hand, which is a funny moment. 
uh, a big fight breaks out, and it's fun to see the like various Lokis using their powers against each other. Uh, what did you think of this whole action sequence? Yeah, it's a it's a fun little sequence. Yeah, uh, old Loki creates a portal, and him, Prime Loki, and Kid Loki, and Alligator Loki escape. Uh, old Loki says that every version of Loki is broken. And Kid Loki says that whenever one of us dares to try to fix themselves, they're sent to the void. Loki believes that nothing can change until the TVA is stopped. Why do you think... <laughs> I think my, 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 my opinion what's where this is headed is kind of changing in this episode, Brad. Why do you think the TVA is so opposed to Loki changing? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I feel like if Loki isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing, then there's nothing, maybe potentially nothing for the TVA to do because it seems like Lokis are the ones probably causing the most mischief and creating new branches in the timeline and variation. Um, but I also think that there's something to be said about a Loki that is that also breaks free from like what they're supposed to be doing and potentially risks taking away their control of time. Because if Loki's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, then he's even more unpredictable than you otherwise would imagine. Okay, you're going in other directions than me, but we'll get to my, my direction a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so the uh, kid Loki has this way of telling where things are going to appear in the void. And uh, they go and they find this massive naval ship. It's the USS Eldridge, mm -hmm. which falls out of the sky. Do you have the backstory on this? Yeah, uh, this is another one of those fun conspiracy theory kind of things. Um, it's said that the uh, some people believe that the USS Eldridge uh, was part of this big uh, military project called the Philadelphia Experiment, where they were trying to render a, sh a naval ship invisible or cloaked to enemy devices. Um, and so there's a whole story about that project, which is said to apparently never exist, but who knows. And so this kind of proposes that, you know, when the ship did disappear, this is why it did. Yeah. And uh, the person who actually, I think, started this story actually came out and said it was a hoax. Or maybe the government made him say that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, you can look all that up. There's even a movie, right? The Philadelphia Experiment. I think is that a time travel movie. I've never seen it. I don't know. Oh. Okay. So we both haven't seen it. Uh, Loki's plan is to let uh, Lyoth take on the vessel as the Lo the variant Loki's take it from behind, but that doesn't work out too well. And uh, also worth noting that the ship fires all its weapons uh, it has against Elioth and because it eats matter and energy is not hurt in any bit. So I think that proves that Loki's plan was bad. And thankfully Sylvie shows up. Uh, she's appalled at Loki's plan. Uh, she thinks uh, whoever is responsible for the TVA is at the void at the end of time and Elioth is just their guard dog. So she plans to enchant it to get past it. Now, here's, here's I guess, here's a bit. I said there was no critical things here, but this is like another critical thing. Let me get this straight, Brad. So 
the timekeepers or whoever behind this, behind the TVA, is sending the most problematic entities in the timeline to their front door? Doesn't that seem bad logistically? I mean, yes, but I'm sure that they're thinking that Eliath cannot so easily be compromised. You know, I I mean, like that's a pretty powerful watchdog that you have there to keep people from uh, discovering what's in there. And probably a very few limited amount of people would be able to do something like that, which is again, perhaps why the TVA has been so obsessed with stopping variant Lokis. Yeah. Keep, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, Brad. (laughs) Um, Ravona talks to Hunter B-15, who has been locked inside the secret cell inside the wall. And B-15 argues that the people need to know the truth. And Ravona says that, no, the TVA needs stability. And the fact that the timekeepers aren't real changes nothing. So Ravona wants to find out information about Sylvie since she linked up with her. B-15 says that Sylvie wants revenge and will probably be searching for whoever created the fake timekeepers. Which is, I don't know, this whole interaction is weird because I feel like she doesn't tell Ravona anything that she doesn't already know. But um, B-15 realizes that this isn't just about trying to protect the TVA, but that Ravona just wants to find whoever is behind this all. But she won't find them before Sylvie because, quote, she only wants it while Sylvie needs it. What do you think of that, Brad? It, I mean, it's been her whole driving force since yeah. she was a little girl. So, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just accurate. Uh, so, Ravana asked Miss Minutes for all the files on the founding of the TVA. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like if I was in... Uh, Renslayer's position, I would have already gone through all those files years ago at this point. Like, what what do you think she's hoping to find? I mean, whatever she doesn't know, you know? I'm yeah. sure she had no reason to question anything until now, and so now she's curious. Yeah, true. Okay, so back into the void, Mobius proposes that Alligator Loki isn't really an alligator or, you know, sorry, isn't really a Loki. <laughs> he is a real alligator. And uh, he's lying. Uh, but old Loki points out that he's green, so that must mean he's a Loki. I think this is hilarious. And uh, then Moby says that it's always about the long con with Lokis. There's always a game within the game, which kind of reminds me of the timekeepers, Brad. Like, it, you know, in this void, and then there's this mansion behind the this smoke monster, and there was this old Loki who who, um, you know, he kind of found himself like solace in like this place where no one else was kind of, it kind of reminds me of like a mansion in the middle of nowhere. Um, not saying he's there, but all this like seems like it's there for a reason and it's not just like there for fluff. So I guess what I'm proposing, Brad, could the bad guy be some kind of variant Loki? Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think at this point now, it would be the most boring choice for them to do because they've already done so many weird things that the the final villain being a Loki variant is too predictable. 
you know um it's something that we had already talked about in previous episodes we were even yeah. thinking that richard e grant was going to be old man loki and pulling the strings so i i just don't think that that's interesting enough for that to be the the end game here I guess I, I also said that because that's why I brought up earlier, like, why is the TVA so invested in Loki not changing? Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe another Loki would not want them to change. I don't know. Just some thoughts. I don't, again, I don't know anything. Uh, so outside is cold. Loki conjures up a blanket for him and Sylvie. Uh, they stare, they like kind of have this moment. Uh, Sylvie asks, how she knows that Loki won't betray her in the in the final moments. Loki basically admits his past and says he's changed and won't let her down. Uh, they talk about what they would do when this is all over, and Loki proposes that they could figure it out together. Last week I mentioned the showrunner said that there is not going to be any romance here, Brad, but it, it certainly looks romantic with them underneath the same blanket together. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's... It- I think when uh, Kate Heron was talking about that, that she probably just means like full on romance because, no you kiss. Know, yeah, like it's not going to be that that kind of, you know, romance. It's I think there's still love there, but maybe just not like the the generic romance kind of love. And is it just me or like usually when you have characters talking on screen about like what they're going to do at the end, they don't get to do that because one of them dies or both of them dies. Yes, right. That, that's true. <laughs> So that's that, that's what I'm feeling here when I when I watch this scene. I'm not feeling like, oh, I can't wait for them to get together at the end of time. I'm feeling like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not good. Uh, oh, there's these little bird creatures. They almost look like peacocks without the back feathers. And they have like this head that's like this levitating ball. Yeah, it's super weird. Yeah. I don't know why they're there, but I like them. And uh, the group looks out at the the like the like the the field and we see the uh the ship from guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. that is the dark aster that's the ship that ronin had in guardians of the galaxy i guess it's technically a ship owned by thanos i don't know uh sylvie is going to attempt to enchant lyeth and gives loki the tempad uh but he's not going to leave without her. So Mobius is heading back to the TVA to burn it all down, which is a reference to what Loki said in, I think, one of the first episodes. Uh, they share a bro hug, and it's a good moment. And all the other Lokis decide to stay in the void. It's become their home. Kid Loki conjures a golden short sword for Loki. And with that, Sylvie and Loki head towards the smoke monster. And... Uh, yeah, so uh, Eliath kind of looks like a bear in smoke form. And by the way, the if you watch this show with the descriptive audio, it actually says that. So if you, you want to know what Eliath looks like, looks like a bear. I saw some people online describing him as a uh, a wolf. A smoky but, bear. Yeah, smoky. <laughs> God. <laughs> good, good one, Brad. Good one. <laughs> Uh, Loki draws the sword and uh, flames come out of it. Um, is this a sword we've ever seen in the comics? Do you know? Oh, no, I'm that I'm not sure about actually. Yeah. I, I would, I would imagine it might be one of like kid Loki's trademark weapons or something like that. But yeah, but yeah, I'm I actually don't know that. Yeah. So, uh, Lyoth almost 
uh, eats them, but gets distracted by something, a projection of the kingdom of Asgard as created by old Loki. Uh, earlier in the episode, old Loki was, was talking about the daggers and how the, all the other variant Lokis were saying how they look super cool. And old Loki was saying how they hurt Loki's ability to develop their magic into higher levels. And here Sylvie wonders how, he, how he's doing that. And Loki says, I think we are stronger than we realize. So Sylvie and Loki together attempt to enchant Elioth. The illusion of Asgard basically falls as Loki loses his focus. As the monster bears down on him, he laughs maniacally. Uh, Elioth leaves nothing but his horns. So is old Loki dead? I think we, just, we agree he's dead, right? I would say so. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wonder, like, while old Loki was a, away on his island of, of planet, wherever he was, do you think he, like, created that illusion of Asgard to feel, like, less lonely? Um, That's a, a, an interesting question. I, I wouldn't put it past him if it was, yeah, yeah something to give him a little <laughs> comfort. I don't know. I was, I was thinking that. It didn't seem like something that he has, like, it didn't seem like the first time he's created Asgard. So I was like... Why would he have done that before? And that, that was the only thing I could come up with. Anyways, okay. So finally, Elias, uh dissolves into the air as this like emerald cloud parts ways to reveal this this huge mansion slash castle on the in the distance on top of like this rock formation. And there's this white streak going across the background that kind of looks like. Uh, if you remember that Miss Minutes animation where it had like the sacred timeline as like this this white flowing streak, it almost looks like that. Um, and no no credit sequence. Were you surprised that there was no credit sequence? No, I mean it's we're heading into the finale, and the end was a pretty shocking thing to to begin with. So I I think it makes sense to just save everything for the final episode. So before we get into speculation, any final thoughts on this episode? Um, no, I think we pretty much, you know, dug, dug into all that stuff. The speculation is where the, the interesting stuff is now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Brad, what, what is this mansion or is it a mansion or is it a castle or what, what do you would, what would you call it? It looks like a mansion. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that, uh, that tower sticking out of it is with that, that glow, uh, gold glow, um, there. So that's, that's an interesting detail. Maybe it's Professor X's mansion. No, I'm just kidding. No, Peter. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Like, okay. So originally, it was explained that the timekeepers were transforming the place at the end of time into utopia. Now we we've definitely found that that's not true. It's just like some old man's mansion or something. Um, who who do you think the main villain is going to – who do you think we're going to find? And like, What is this last episode even going to be, Brad? Because they're at this mansion at the end of time. Like is it like the whole episode going to be this battle between them and whoever's in there? Like how is it going to work? It has to be – I mean there has to be a good amount of exposition here of talking to this person and finding out what's been going on with the Time Variance Authority, you know, why uh, things are the way they are and – just, just all of that stuff. Like they, they have to get answers to those questions, you know, before all is said and done. As for who's there, the prevailing theory that still works, especially now with that Eliath has been brought into the fray, is Kang the Conqueror. 
Um, it's, you know, it would be a different spin on his, you know, comic mythology, but there are so many things here, like about his comic history that just makes sense to have him be part of this. Uh, you know, there's, there's actually even a storyline in Marvel comics where, um, he turns, um, turns himself into like kind of a different being. Like he, he re essentially is reborn as a character named Immortus and, this becomes after he's tired of trying to control time and sick of like trying to keep up with supremacy. He's lost his son and his wife several times across different timelines. And so he decides to just give it up and he takes an offer from the timekeepers to become somebody who rather than conquering timelines preserves them. Mm. And so that's something that could easily tie into what's going on here. Um, there's another interesting angle here that we haven't talked about at all and it could be interesting uh and that's baron mordo a character Uh, that that we haven't seen since the end of dr strange um and the reason i say that wait 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 can you like recap who that is yeah so this is the character that chiwetel ejiofor played in dr strange uh he he's originally a um a hero working alongside dr strange uh, teaches him, you know, how to master his his mystical powers along with the ancient one, uh, and he's there in the final battle. Um, he's very concerned with, you know, how magic is used. Uh, you know, isn't necessarily sold on using the time stone to turn back time to help uh, stop uh, Caselius in Doctor Strange, and uh, he kind of feels betrayed by the ancient one uh, when all is said and done at the end of the movie and in the credits scene. Uh, we see him taking away some of the power that this uh, this formerly disabled guy was using to uh, allow him to to walk again. Uh, and he's um, he's very specifically says that there's too many sorcerers uh, in the world. And so we haven't seen him since then. And uh, strangely enough, when you look at the mansion in this final shot, uh, the cosmic waves that are behind it, uh, look a lot like the dark dimension from the end of Doctor Strange. Now that's where Dormammu oh. was, um, and d- the dark dimension is also a place that exists outside of the normal flow of time. So I think it would be interesting if that was something that came up, and it would also serve at, uh, as a perfect setup for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness because Chiwetel Ejiofor is slated to return as Baron Mordo in that sequel as well. Yeah, and uh, that movie was also written by. The same person who wrote this show, right? Indeed, yep. So, hmm, as uh, Jeff Loeb would once say, it's all connected. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had not heard that theory. That's interesting. I I really there's a lot that this last episode needs to accomplish. I'm I'm so sad that this series is only six episodes because I'm thinking about it. Not only do you have to explain the villain's motivation, why they created the TVA, but you've got to like solve what like does the TVA still exist after this? Do you restore all those people to their their previous timelines? Well, the, their previous timelines don't even exist anymore, right? Like they were pruned. Right. So what happens to them? So I, I don't even think Owen Wilson could go back to being a teacher if that if that was what he was. At least not his own in his own timeline. Yeah. So how, I don't know. It, it just has a lot. There's a lot of prologue. I think that needs to be here, unless unless this isn't just one season. But I I feel it feels like it's coming to a head that I don't think it, it could continue. 
But I mean, would there be a reason to keep the TVA around after this? Probably not. Yeah, I would say probably not. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, so that'll be next week. And we will be back then to give our recap, our thoughts. If you have any, if you have any thoughts, any theories, well, actually, I mean, you can email them uh, to us at peter at slash com. But last next week's going to be our last episode of this podcast. So if it's something that's like actually solved in the episode, uh, we might not read it on the air. You can find more of all of our work at slash com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please rate and read this podcast and Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.